0: Welcome once again to Searching the Scriptures Radio Broadcast. I do appreciate you tuning in again this week as we look into the Word of God. I'm Pastor Travis Alltop, and it's a privilege to have an open Bible before me and another opportunity to expound this precious old book called the Bible. And as always, we encourage you to get your Bible open and follow along with us that you might see the Word of God for yourself. This week, I'm going to ask you to turn to Luke chapter 14, and I want to talk to you this week on a subject that's uh, very important to Christians, One that we need to consider, and that is discipleship and the demands that Jesus Christ lays down upon us in order to be true, Holy Ghost-filled, Holy Ghost-led disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, in Luke chapter 14, never is a statement made that uh, shows you the intensity uh, and the demands, the great cost it is, counting the cost of being a follower, a true disciplined follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here in Luke chapter 14, if you'll turn there, let's begin reading together in verse 25. We'll make comments as time allows. Luke chapter 14 this week, verse 25, we're right in the middle of the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our context. And he begins speaking here in verse 25. And he says, it's, the Bible says, there went great multitudes with him and he turned and said unto them, Now, what we're about to read are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, and there's this large group of people that are following him. And let me just say right here, Jesus Christ was an expert at thinning out the crowd. God always looks at things in an entirely different light than man does. Most men think a big crowd means God is blessing. But Jesus Christ knew what was in man, and he knew the fickleness of great crowds. Sure, there was large crowds that followed him, but Jesus Christ was an expert at thinning out the crowd because he would often uh, say drastic things in order to reveal the hearts of men. Listen, all through the gospel accounts, we find out that when Jesus was preaching and performing miracles, that large crowds gathered to hear him, and many times his loved ones couldn't even get at him because of the press of the people that were gathered around. You read that in numerous places. The reason they had to let the paraplegic man down through the roof was because they could not get him into the house because the crowd was packed out. There was no way to get in there because people were pressed together so tightly. And so large, large crowds often followed the Lord Jesus, but he was an expert at thinning them out. And what we find by this is that oftentimes... The great excitement that followed the Lord, many of the people who claimed to be his followers and who claimed to have believed upon him, turned out to be nothing more than stony ground hearers. And if you know your Bible, you know that a stony ground or a rocky ground hearer is none other than someone who excitedly receives, apparently receives the word of God and begin to follow the Lord. But as soon as opposition or affliction or trouble arises because of their following Jesus Christ, they immediately fall away and go back, showing that they never had any depth in their heart to begin with. And listen, that's the that's the uh, a large majority of the people who followed the Lord. You say, well, how do you know that, preacher? Well, because after His resurrection, after Jesus Christ came up from the dead, we read in the Book of Acts in chapter one, He told His disciples to wait until they be endued with power from on high. They were to wait for the promise of the Father. And, of course, the Holy Ghost is what they were waiting on. And the Holy Ghost was given there in Acts chapter 2. But have you ever considered that there was, the Bible says, about 120 people in that upper room? Well, where were the great crowds that followed him? Where were all the people that loved him at one time and, and pressed around him to hear what he had to say? Oh, we find out that man is fickle. And that his heart many times professes one thing, but really believes something else. And so many of the multitudes, much of the multitude that followed him, were just stony ground, half hearted hearers, and they never were really interested in Jesus Christ to begin with. And so here he comes to, uh, turns to this great crowd that's following him, and in his impeccable, perfect way, presents the facts of discipleship and the demands of discipleship in such a way that undoubtedly this crowd went away grieving. Because in verse 26, when Jesus Christ turns to this great multitude, here's what he says to them about being his disciple. Look at it with me, verse 26. Jesus Christ speaking, he says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, He cannot be my disciple. Verse 27, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest haply, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going... Uh, "...to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand, or else while the other is yet a great way off. He sinneth an embassage, and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple." And so here we have some great truth about being a disciplined and true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ which those of us who know Jesus Christ in the pardon and forgiveness of sin, does it not make perfect sense that we would want to go on him, to know him in perfect fellowship and to have victory in this life? Can I tell you something? That uh, the salvation provided through the cross of the Lord Jesus is not just so that we can be pardoned and forgiven and go to heaven when we die, although certainly that's the first attraction that the cross has for us. All but listen... The cross is also our source of power right now in this life to live a victorious Christian life and to be able to live above the dominion of sin. Sin shall not have dominion over the Christian. And the only way you're going to know this full victorious Christian life is to go on and follow Jesus Christ right now. That's called being a disciple And Jesus Christ says that, listen, eternal life is a free gift. Romans 6, 23 states it plainly. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Eternal life is a gift purchased by the Lord Jesus. However, discipleship will cost you something. In fact, it will cost you everything. And Jesus Christ, in trying to thin out this large crowd of people following him, Jesus, knowing what was in man, he tests the hearts of his professed followers by laying down some demands of discipleship that are almost overwhelming when you first read it. In fact, he likens people who will not follow him and be disciples of him. He mentions the fact he likens them to men who go to start building a tower, a man who builds a tower but he hasn't counted the cost and uh, realizes doesn't realize that he doesn't have enough to finish it. Then he likens it to a king who is uh, possibly unwilling to fight. And can I tell you something? The Christian life is a building process. And can I tell you something that God has provided sufficient for us to finish? For sure. Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. Later on here in this passage, Jesus Christ likens the Christian life and the life of discipleship and following him to a king who is unwilling to take the fight to the enemy. And so what we see, if failures here in this, this, uh, this subject of discipleship, the failures have to do with being unable to finish and unwilling to fight. Those are the failures. And listen, people who get out of the work of the Lord often become a mockery to Christianity. Uh, you've seen people, undoubtedly, who you once looked up to in the Christian walk, and yet they ended up out. And they got out of the work, and they got out, and maybe they... Uh, didn't finish and maybe they were unwilling to fight against the world the flesh and the devil and they become trophies if you will for the enemy to taunt and uh, oftentimes people say well I know somebody he used to be a Christian but he he doesn't go to church anymore and he doesn't do this anymore well that's a failure for sure but can I tell you something if they fail it's because it's not because of uh, them not having sufficient building material to finish God will provide the building material. It's not because they were uh, not able to fight a good fight. God will provide the power for you to fight. So what's the problem? Well, there's some foes to discipleship that help you fail if you're not careful. The failure is being unable to finish. The failure is being unwilling to fight. But I'm going to tell you something. The real foe is in verse 26. What causes men to be failures when it comes to discipleship? What causes Christians to fail to follow the perfect will of God in their life? Well, you wouldn't know it unless you believe the word of God. But the greatest foe that creates failures in discipleship is defined and identified in verse 26. Look at it with me again. Jesus Christ speaking, he said, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children, and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Let me tell you something. Today's lesson, I want to point out this. There are many failures in the area of discipleship. But those failures come because the foe gets to them. And you know who the foe is? It's your own friends and family. And you know something? Many people have even ridiculed. Unbelievers have ridiculed Jesus' a statement here. When he says, if any man come to me and hate not, and names off all of those close relationships that we have, all those close family, flesh and blood relationships, let me tell you something. The reason people struggle with this is because they fail to study the Word of God to identify exactly what Jesus Christ means with the word hate. Because listen, the first two people he mentioned is father and mother, and Jesus Christ himself knows... And you know that the fifth commandment says to honor thy father and thy mother. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And this is the first commandment with promise. In fact, the fifth commandment in Moses' Ten Commandments, when the Bible says that that is the first commandment with promise, there was a promise attached to the fifth commandment what was it well if you honor your father and your mother it says you'll have long life upon the earth god will bless you for being good to your parents so could it possibly be that jesus christ is telling you to mistreat or be unkind or dishonor your mother and your father well of course not that can't be the right interpretation well the answer is clear when you allow the bible to be the bible and to identify and define its own terms you say, well, preacher, what's the, what definition could you give me for the word hate? Well, the word hate in the Bible is defined in the very first book of the Bible, the first book being the book of Genesis. Look at Genesis chapter 29 and notice what it says. <clears throat> you remember the story of Jacob and his uncle Laban, right? And the fact that Laban tricked him, uh, Jacob was in love with Rachel. And that's who he worked a full seven years to win for uh, marriage. And yet Laban tricked Jacob. And instead, uh, he was given the firstborn in the family, which was Leah. Leah was, is said to be tender-eyed while Rachel was beautiful. I don't know exactly what tender-eyed may mean, but we get the in indication that maybe Leah wasn't the looker that her younger sister was. And so Jacob, the Bible says in verse 30, I'm sorry, verse 29 of Genesis 29, read this with me. Now, what, what are we doing? We're allowing the Holy Ghost, the Word of God, we're allowing the Holy Ghost to define His own term. We want to know what does Jesus Christ mean when He says that if we're going to be His disciples and if we're not going to fail, uh, in this discipleship endeavor, then we have to hate our own family members? Well, what does that mean? Well, here in Genesis 29, verse 29, the Bible says, Laban gave to Rachel his daughter Bilhah, his handmaid, a beer maid. And he went in also unto Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah, and served with him yet seven other years. Now look at verse 31. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, well, what's the definition? Well, according to verse 30, Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, so you know what the word hate means in the King James Bible by allowing the the King James English to define its own terms? You find out that you must love Jesus Christ more than you love your own family. The Bible here in the Lord Jesus Christ is certainly not encouraging any of his uh, followers to mistreat their family. He is simply saying, if you're going to follow my will and truly be a disciple, then you're going to have to love me more than you love your family, which in the word of God is defined as hate. Why, even in Matthew chapter 10, when you compare the passage over there where he is challenging people and his disciples uh, to love him more than others. He says this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 35. He says, For I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Now listen, verse 36, And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Verse 37, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Do you get it? Hatred means... You have to love the will of God more than you love the approval of your own family. Hating your family in this passage in Luke fourteen twenty six has nothing to do with mistreating your family. Now, you may disappoint them because if you're going to follow the perfect will of God for your life, there's going to be times that your own flesh and blood and your closest friends and family and relatives will not understand and will be the greatest hindrance to you doing the will of God. Let me give you an example. I remember years ago when... Uh, I've given my testimony before on the program and years ago when I first quit playing music, I was playing music and paying my bills by playing a guitar. And I was traveling around the country and was having some success at it and was having more and more doors of opportunity opened up to me, was getting to play with some of the big wigs in Nashville and was on television. My family got to watch me on TV and boy, they thought this was great. What they didn't know was that God was dealing with my heart. And I began to study the Word of God and find out about a truth uh, called the judgment seat of Christ. And I found out that every born-again, blood-washed saint would one day give an account of his life and what he did with uh, his life and his health and everything God gave him. One day we're going to be judged according to our works uh, as Christians. And we're going to be rewarded if we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And if any man served himself and didn't serve the Lord, and didn't follow on to know the Lord better then that man shall suffer loss, yet he himself shall be saved. And we understand that. That's a judgment of the Christian's works. And I realized that I was living for myself and that I had never considered what the will of God might be for me. And as I began to consider what God wanted me to do, it became obvious as I read the Bible and prayed, I would be staying uh, in the hotel rooms in the cities and towns where we were playing music with the particular country group that I was traveling with. And I would be in my hotel room and I was miserable in my heart. And I began to pray to God and study the Bible. And it became very clear to me that the first thing the Lord wanted me to do was forsake that lifestyle. Now understand something, uh, those of you listening in today. I was not smoking dope and I wasn't getting drunk and I wasn't running around and living a, a life of debauchery. I was just playing music traveling around the country, seeing the sights, and enjoying all that goes along with playing music and entertaining people and getting a check for it. And I thought, man, this is, this is the life I want to live. Well, as I began to study the Word of God, began to get right with God, the Holy Spirit showed me that I needed to leave that lifestyle and get in church. That's what Christians do. They go to church. They find a good Bible-believing church, and they get in that church because that's where, God's, uh, that's where God is going to speak to their heart that's where God's going to bless them and uh, I wanted to get in church I wanted to go to Cornerstone Baptist Church there in Carthage Tennessee and uh, I was uh, just miserable those last few months that I was on the road and so I finally had to make the decision to leave the road and forsake that career and go home and get a job I ended up taking a job hanging drywall and finishing drywall I sand and drywall with the Mexicans there, making just a few dollars on the hour compared to what I was making. And I was the, listen, when I obeyed the Holy Ghost and the Lord Jesus Christ, when I did that, I was the happiest man sanding drywall that you've ever seen in your life. But let me tell you something. It was my own friends and family that questioned my decision. And, you know, I even had one family member say, you know something, God gave you the ability to play a guitar and God gave you these open doors of opportunity and you're having trouble paying your bills because God gave you that. You better use some good common sense and get back out there and go back on the road and quit uh, worrying about being in church every time the doors are open. Well, you know something, the relative that told me that probably meant well. But you know something, I ignored what my relative had to say and I obeyed the directions of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, some 16, 17 years later, all has become very clear. What's my point? Had I listened to my own family over what the Spirit of God was clearly directing me to do, I would not have been called to preach. I would not uh, have been learning the Bible as God has allowed me to learn it over the last 16 or 17 years. I would have missed out on the blessing of getting to meet missionaries and getting to pastor a church. I'm going to tell you something when you make your own selfish decisions or decisions contrary to the word of God because your family says this is what I want you to do, can I tell you something? You're throwing away you're throwing away your life. The old saying is only what's uh, only one life and it is passed and only what's done for Christ will last. And when Jesus Christ said, if any man come to me, if any man wants to be my disciple, Uh, He cannot be that unless he hates his father, his mother, his wife, his children, his brothers and sisters. Again, Jesus Christ is not telling you to mistreat your family. He is simply saying that his will for your life, you must follow it and, and follow it over top your family's opposition. In other words, you must love Jesus Christ supremely more than you love your own family and their approval. And I'm telling you, that's what causes the failures in the life of discipleship, and that is your family gets in the way. You know something? Your family sometimes will hinder you from going to the right church. Sometimes your family will hinder you from following on To know the Lord. Listen, how many times has some young lady married a young man who was then called to the mission field over in Africa or in some deep, dark jungle in Papua New Guinea? And that young lady's mother said, You can't go. There's no way I can allow my daughter to go uh, to that place. I remember reading a story one time where Dr. Lee Robertson was seeing off a young couple who was going off to the jungles of Papua New Guinea, and the young lady who was leaving with her missionary husband. Uh, when she watched that plane depart that day, she turned to Dr. Robertson and she stuck her finger in his face and she said, sir, if anything happens to my daughter, she says, I'm holding you personally responsible. And Dr. Lee Robertson, in all his great wisdom, he looked at that dear woman and he said, lady, he said, your daughter is safer in the will of God in Papua New Guinea than she would be being out of the will of God and listening to you and staying here in America He says, Jesus Christ is able to take care of your daughter. And you know something, that's something that you need to consider. Are you going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Then you may have to leave the opinions of your family behind. You may have to step over the well-intentioned ideas from your family and go on and do what God has called you to do. Now, let me tell you, uh, in the long term, people will figure it out some of those same family members who doubted my decision and who discouraged me from leaving the music and going to church. And, and uh, when I went to church, I began to get instructions and was called to preach and then called into the ministry and became a pastor. Listen, those same relatives that didn't understand and that questioned my uh, reasons for what I was doing and questioned my decisions now are some of my biggest fans and root and cheer me on. And they understand now why, because they can see what they couldn't see 15 16 years ago you have to be willing to follow the lord jesus christ even when his instructions are contrary to the people you love the most amen and amen you say what's the point the point is this jesus christ said you have to hate these people and you have to that means you have to love him more than even your own family you say did he ever do that absolutely Do you remember in Mark chapter 3? Listen, Jesus Christ never calls upon us to do something that he is not willing to do himself. And you understand in the Bible that Jesus Christ, his mother was Mary, and uh, Jesus Christ was her firstborn. And uh, she had him, she became uh, with child with Jesus Christ before she knew a man carnally. She had not uh, known Joseph, her husband, but after the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, Mary had many children the old-fashioned way. And you'll find that throughout the Gospels. Jesus Christ had half-brothers and sisters. And there is a place in the Gospels in Mark chapter 3, verse 31, where the Scripture says, "...there came then his brethren and his mother, and standing without, sent unto him, calling him. And the multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren?" And he looked round about on them which sat about him and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of God, the same as my brother and my sister and mother. Now, you know what? They had come according to Mark chapter 3. His friends and family were worried about the Lord. In fact, earlier in Mark chapter 3, it says his friends went to get him because they thought that, quote, he was beside himself, his friends and family thought that Jesus Christ had lost his mind, maybe had a Messiah complex or something, and they couldn't even get to him because of the large crowds gathered around him. And they sent for him and said, hey, uh, Jesus, come on out here. We want to talk to you. And you know something? He didn't go out. He forsook his own earthly family to do the will of God. Because, I mean, come on, don't you think that's kind of an interesting response when they said, hey, your mother and your brothers are outside. They want to talk to you. He said, who, are, who is my mother and my brother? He said, I'll tell you who it is. It's these people right here who hear the word of God and do it. The same as my mother and my brother and my sister. And there's no indication that Jesus Christ is ever went out and appeased his family. He just kept on doing the will of God. So he set the example for us. So when he lays down these demands of discipleship in uh, Luke chapter 14, verse 26, don't think that it's over the top. Listen, it makes perfect sense. Jesus Christ was willing to do it himself. He was more in love with his father and the will of God for his life than he was his own family. So when he says, if you hate not your mother and your father and all of these things, what he's saying is, you must follow me and love me more than you love your own family. You know what it is? It's a life of self-denial. You say, oh, that would be miserable. Not at all. Most people go through life living way below their privileges as a Christian. Many people have never come to know what a blessing it is to live for Jesus Christ. It's not a boring life. In fact, if you'll surrender all to Him as a born-again child of God, you'll find out that your life will be more exciting than you ever could have imagined it to be. It'll be fruitful. It'll be full. And you'll have a heart full of joy and peace that passeth understanding. And you can go through the storms of life with joy and peace reigning in your heart because you know that you have your Heavenly Father right there with you. Living for Jesus Christ, listen is the greatest thing you'll ever do. How are you doing with it? Are you truly his disciple? Or is there some family member that's hindered you from following on with the direction that the Lord has given you? Let me tell you something. You better listen to the Lord over your own family members. you got to love him more than you do your own family. Because listen, Jesus Christ has your best interest in mind. And when I show up at the judgment seat of Christ, I want to show up having performed the will of God in my life. And I want to finish what I've started, and I want to fight the good fight. Just like Paul said when it came time for him to die, he said, the time of my departure is at hand. In other words, it was time for him to leave out. Paul knew death was just imminent, and he said this, and it's the same testimony that you and I ought to want to have when it comes time to leave out of this world. He said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is a crown laid up for me. And listen, Jesus Christ will soon appear. And I want to be rejoicing at His appearing. I want to love His appearing. And the way you'll love His appearing is if you follow Him even over opposition from your friends and your family. Jesus said that the, the, the cost of discipleship was this. If any man come to me... And hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters. Yea, in his own life also he cannot be my disciple. Forsake your plans. Forsake your family's ideas about what's best for you. And simply follow the Lord Jesus Christ. You will never regret it. Only one life it's soon is past. And only what's done for Christ will last. May God help you to apply that truth to your own life, Christian friend. Till next week, may the Lord bless you as you serve him.